So Hebrews chapter 12, we finished our long journey through Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll go back to get proper context of everything that's going on. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it tells us, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So verse 1, it gives us this therefore. Why is this therefore there? We go back to Hebrews chapter 10 to get the full context. Hebrews chapter 10. And then in verse 35 through 39, this is really the book ends of chapter 11. You get Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 through 39. All of Hebrews 11. And then Hebrews chapter 12, that's all the same context. So it tells us, for you have a need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Again, family, and then we see all of Hebrews chapter 11, all these amazing men and women of faith. And what the author of Hebrews is writing to these Hebrew people who they had faced broken friendships, they had faced broken relationships, they had faced broken businesses, their relationship with God, it put them in a place where the people around them didn't like them, where they lost their jobs. Yeah, economically it hurt their pockets, but it tells us later on that they had not yet resisted bloodshed. So they were discouraged. They were sad. They had less money and they had less friends. Why? Because they loved Jesus, right? And again, what has our walk and relationship with God cost us? But at the end of chapter 10, verse 39, it tells us, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So who are we a part of family? What's the crew that we run with? We run with these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. We are a part of every man and every woman that's mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 11. That's our crew, if you would. You should put your name right in there with these men and with these women, with this family, right? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, right? And Zach. That's the crew that I'm a part of. Insert your name there. And I think of the kid show, right? One of these things just isn't like the other, right? One of these things just isn't the same. But yet this is the group that we are a part of. It's all these men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. This is our crew, these are the men and women that we are like-minded with, like-hearted with. We are a part of the same family of God. 
We go back to Hebrews chapter 12. So again, therefore, because we are not of those who draw back, but we are those who believe, like all these great men and women of faith in chapter 11, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This cloud of witnesses, this is to tell us a great amount of people. I don't know how often you've dealt with a bunch of locusts, but they call it a cloud of locusts. I think for us in Miami, it's more a cloud of flies or a cloud of mosquitoes, right? Depending where you're at. Maybe you're in the Everglades and you're just hit with this cloud of mosquitoes. Uh, sometimes we would have dulos at the ranch and we'd get to the ranch at nightfall. It's out there two hours into the wilderness and the lights would be on on the porch and we're trying to unload groceries and food for a week for 40 people. And there was a cloud of mosquitoes out there, right? Just the amount of mosquitoes trying to get in your mouth, your ears, your nose, everywhere and anywhere. Just a cloud, a great amount of mosquitoes. But for us, thank God, it's a great cloud of witnesses. We have witnesses that are innumerable for us that are to do a few things for our faith. First and foremost, through their own life, they provided a good testimony. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and verse 39, it tells us, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. This was his testimony. Then in verse 39, it tells us, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These men, Enoch, all these people in chapter 11, they obtained a good testimony. And after they obtained the good testimony, now they became a witness or a testimony for us. Within Christianity or our Christian dictionary, we say testimony all the time. What does that even mean? Testimony, it means first-hand evidence. First-hand evidence. Their lives showed firsthand the power and the working of God. Their life showed firsthand that God was faithful even when they were faithless. The lives of these men and women, it provided evidence for us to not draw back, but to live by faith, to run hard. That is what the lives of these men and women reveal to us and show us and should encourage us. The picture that the author is writing here, it's a race. That's really what he's painting here. It's a race. This is one of the reasons some scholars think it's Paul. Paul, he's all about sports and the different things he talks about throughout the Bible. But the picture that he's painting here, it's a race. And it's not just a Joe Schmo race between you and your buddy in the parking lot of church or in the back of the property. But it's a race at Dolphin Stadium. But the stadium's not empty. It's not empty because of COVID. It's not empty because it's a normal Dolphins game. But <laughs> the stadium is packed. The stadium is packed. It's standing room only. 
But it's packed, standing room only, not with your normal Monday morning quarterbacks, not with your normal out-of-shape fantasy football experts, not with your normal overweight men with painted bellies. But the stadium is packed with all the champions. The stadium is packed at the race with the best of the best. Every Hall of Famer, every champion ever, they are the ones who are in the stands. And now as we enter the race and we look around, right, you, we think of the Olympics and the ceremony. They walk in and there's just a crowd of people and they're looking around overtaken by emotion. That's the picture for us, family. That the moment we get saved and we enter this race, the great cloud of witnesses around us, it's as if you're entering your race into the biggest stadium in all the earth and you look around and there's Paul, there's Abraham, there's David, there's Enoch, there's Sarah, there's Rahab. There are the best of the best, the mightiest of the mighty. And they're there to cheer us on as we take the starting line. They're there to cheer us on as we get tired and exhausted in our race. Why? Because we are not of those who draw back. We're not supposed to go backwards as believers. We're to continue to press on forward. We're to continue to grow and become more and more mature. They're there to remind us, hey, don't give up. God is faithful. Hey, I know you're a messed up sinner, so was I, but look what God did. They're there to remind us, hey, I know this seems impossible, but remember what God did through me. They're there. They're our cloud of witnesses to remind us God is able. God is powerful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're exhausted. You think you're the only believer on earth? Go read about Noah, the only righteous man on the entire planet. You think you're exhausted? You think you're a terrible person? Look at Abraham. He was into idols. His dad made idols. He threw his wife under the bus not one time but two times. Slept with another woman. And yet God said, hey, Abraham is the friend of God. That we would look at these men and women, that family, we have no excuse to not grow and mature with the Lord. We have no excuse. We are all witnesses of the testimony of these men and women. Again, they're not only in the stands to cheer us on, but they're in the stands to encourage us. Hey, you can do it. You can go deeper. Hey, you can do it. You can run another five feet. Hey, you can do it. You can make it another ten feet. I don't know if you've ever worked out with someone like that, that you're just dead and exhausted. And, hey, you could do it another five feet. You go your five feet, right? Hey, you could do it another five feet. You do the five feet, right? They just keep doing that until you pass out. No, right? They just keep doing that, and then you realize, wow, I ran an extra two blocks. I thought for sure I had nothing left in the tank. But we look at these men and women in the Bible, and what should it do? What should it stir up inside of us? That we lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. This cloud of witnesses, that's what it should stir up inside of us that we say, you know what, I'm going to lay aside these weights. I'm going to give up these certain things because they gave it all up. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son to be obedient to God. What are the things that we're not willing to sacrifice? We need to lay aside every weight. 
And I had never seen this before. When I think of laying aside weights for running a race, I think of, okay, you take off your weighted vest. You don't run with a book bag. You don't run with a bar and 45 pounds, so you put aside those weights. But we are to lay aside every weight both on the outside and on the inside, if you get what I mean, right? As we run our race, we need to be disciplined, not just the moment that we get on the line, but the days before, the weeks before, the months before, the years before, we need to have great discipline. Just like the greatest of athletes, some of them, they get there by just natural talent and ability, but some of the greats, most of them, they had great discipline. They have great discipline to what he or she puts into their body. They have great discipline on what physical activity they do with their body. So family How's our discipline? How is our godly discipline? Are we aware of what we are feeding on? That everything we consume, our spirit is feeding on it. The movies, the news, the social media, right? The people being murdered every day and somehow the videos go on to social media. Nothing gets blocked anymore, right? And as we consume it, our spirit is feeding on it. And we may find ourselves in the race saying, man, why am I so tired? Why am I so tired? Dude, it's because you ate three pizzas last night. You ate three pizzas last night and you think you're going to run this race. No, you've been feeding on sin. We turn to Ephesians chapter 4, laying aside the weight. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24. Here's Paul once again and he says, but you have not so learned Christ. If you indeed have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, but and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So as we run our race, what do we have to do? We have to put off the old man. We have to put off the old way we used to live. We have to put off our old conduct, our old characteristics. We need to put that off. That's the way we need to run our race. And then we need to put on Christ, the man and woman that he wants us to be. Colossians chapter 3. We look there as well, a couple pages to your right. Colossians chapter 3. And in verse 6 through 11, we'll start in verse 5. Verse 5 through 11, it says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, 
circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. Family, we need to put off all these things. Our filthy language, right? And now we have to talk about the internet, our social life as well. Are we putting off these things? Or our post, our life, what comes out? Is it anger? Is it malice? Is it filthy language from our mouths? Are we lying to one another? Because that's the old way. That's the old man. That's gaining spiritual weight. Not in a good way, but in a bad way. That then when we run our race, man, why am I feeling sluggish? Lord, I'm just not, I'm not feeling right today. Lord, I read my Bible and I get nothing out of it. Lord, I'm just exhausted. I'm tired. But you're not putting off the old man. You're not disciplining what you're eating. You're not disciplining what you're taking in. And now as you run your race, you're exhausted. And sometimes we're faced with decisions that are sin or not to sin. That is the question, right? To sin or not to sin, right? Sometimes those are the questions that we're faced with. But many times it's, will this hinder my race or will this help my race? Many times it's, will this weigh me down in my relationship with God? Or will this make me lighter in my relationship with God? We're faced with decisions and, hey, will this make me weaker or will this make me stronger in my relationship with God? Many times we like to pin things as, okay, sin is in this box, and as long as I stay away from sin, I'm going to be strong with the Lord. But like we sung tonight, God, he's called us to more. He's called us to go deeper. Again, it wasn't enough for Abraham to just not sin. God said, hey, are you willing to give me your son? It wasn't enough for Joshua to just not sin. He said, hey, I want you to lead my people. That's what God is calling for us as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, very famous scripture, very important scripture for us. In the day and age that we live in, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 24, it tells us, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Again, family, this is how we have to look at our race. Hey, I'm free to do anything, but is this going to strengthen my relationship with God? Hey, I know I'm free to do anything, but is this going to edify me? Is this going to strengthen me in my walk and relationship with the Lord? I was talking to someone that was big into health and fitness, and they said, I don't want to cheat on a bunch of donuts and stuff like that. I'd rather cheat on a huge steak that at least has protein, right? That at least tastes good and it gives me strength. That's the way we should be looking at our walk and relationship with God. That's the way we should be looking at our hobbies, our friendships. When we're faced with, should I hang out with this group of people or this group of people, we can sit back and ask ourselves, Lord, where am I going to be edified? Where am I going to be built up into my walk and relationship with God? It's not enough, family, to just say, hey, this isn't sin, so I'm okay. We should be looking to get even deeper in our walk and relationship with the Lord. And again, if you're here and you just say, man, this is just a bunch of cocotazos, right? I just feel like I'm getting hit with a two-by-four the whole service. No, that's why we have Hebrews 11, because we have Abraham. We have Samson there. Was there not a man that wasted more time doing unedifying things than Samson? Every decision he made, it was for his flesh. 
every decision he made, he never counseled anybody else. He didn't ask his parents. He didn't ask Samuel, who was alive at the same time. Every decision he made was for his affected me. So I'm just going to keep doing it. But what sin is going to do, it's going to ensnare us. It's going to hold us back. It's going to trip us up in our race and walk with the Lord. Again, you look at what people in the Olympic races wore 50 years ago. Compared to today, it's night and day. Right? Now they wear just tights. That's all they wear, right? Their shoes are tight. Their shirt is tight. Their shorts are tight. Everything, right? There's nothing else. Back then it was just like gym shorts and a tank top. And that's what they would run with. But sin, it's going to slow us down. It's going to trip us up. And usually what happens when you get tripped up? You get hurt. If you're running fast and you eat it, that's why they say you eat it, right? You get scraped up. You get hurt. And you say, Lord, what's going on? And then you got to sit back for a little bit before the Lord heals you and restores you and says, okay, let's keep running. Let's keep doing this. But sin, it ensnares us. It easily ensnares us. And this word in the Greek, it's translated to four different ways. And it gives us four different areas of sin. The first one is easily avoided. There are some sins that are easily avoided, right? For most of us, I think murder is easily avoided. Most of us will say, hey, I've never killed anyone, right? I've never done that. Or major fraud or corruption. Hey, I've never broken into someone's house and taken something from them. There are sins like that. But then there are also sins that are admired. That's the second definition. There are some sins that are admired. People who get away with the big one, then they get a TV show, then they get a Netflix special, then they get a movie, and now they're being interviewed. Hey, what did you do? These, this is the way I broke the law and I got away with it, right? And it's as if the world paints it as something beautiful. Who are most of the heroes in the movies now? It's the bad guys, right? And there are certain sins that we admire, certain sins that our flesh just wants. The next definition is ensnaring, right? Entangling. We think of certain sins that lead to addiction, and it's just a noose that goes around our neck and our life, and it just continues to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. People that mess with drugs or alcohol, people that mess with gambling or pornography, and we think, hey, this is just this one time. Or just this little bit, and then someone can't get away from it for 5 years, 10 years, 20 years. The final one, which is almost every sin, is dangerous. Sin is dangerous, family. Sometimes we think that God, he's just a big party pooper, right? That's who God is. As little kids, when our parents would tell us, hey, don't do that, we just say, ah, mom, you're just a party pooper, right? I don't know if anybody talks like that anymore, but right? You're a buzzkill. You're a fun vampire. You suck the fun out of everything. Why can't I do these things, right? It's so fun to do these things. But they're protecting us because it's dangerous. Why are there guardrails on the highway? Because they want to take the fun of driving off the median? No. They want to protect you from going in the opposite direction and crashing and hurting yourself and hurting your family. So why does the Lord say, hey, don't sin? It's because it's dangerous. It's harmful. Again, we're in a war. We're in a battle. And our enemy's not out there to have fun with us or to play with us. Our enemy's out there to kill us, 
to destroy us, to steal from our families, to steal our future, to steal our future marriages, our future kids, our future grandkids. That's what the enemy and sin is out there and after. So what do we need to do? Is discipline ourselves. What do we need to do? Lay aside the weight. What do we need to do? Be careful and know what is sin most commonly going to do to me? It's going to ensnare me. It's going to come over me. And there are. There are sins that are easily avoided, but there are sins that each and every one of us admire, right? Some of us, we wish that we'd have more boldness to just say something really mean to someone and shut them up. And, oh, man, I admire that, right? I wish I would have that. We need to be careful with these things, sins that ensnare us and sins that are dangerous. But again, the context, we're running in a race. We are running in a race. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. And Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, hey, I'm not there yet. I haven't already attained. I haven't gotten to some platform yet. And when you realize when Paul writes the book of Philippians, it blows your mind to at another level that he's saying this. He's writing this after the book of Acts. After he's been shipwrecked, after he's been beaten, after he's healed the dead, after he's healed the lame, after he's done all sorts of miracles. And yet he says, hey guys, I'm not there yet. Hey guys, I'm still working hard because I have way more in my race to go. Hey guys, I'm still pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, family, where are we at in our race with the Lord? Right? We're prone to say, yeah, in my youth, I used to do these things for God. Hey, in my youth, yeah, I've been on, I've been on mission trips. I used to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I was in kiddos ministry. I was in youth ministry for years. I used to do that. But now I've gotten older. Now I have a this, now I have a that. So I have to take a couple steps back in my walk with the Lord. Go talk to Paul, right? He's in that cloud of witnesses that he's in the thick of it. He's given up his whole life for the Lord. He's been in prison really for no reason. He's been used as a political pawn. He hasn't been complaining or crying or screaming. And yet what does he say? Hey, I'm still pressing on. I have forgotten about all the great things that I've done with the Lord and all the bad things that have happened in my life. I've forgotten about those things. I'm pressing towards the upward call. I'm pressing towards the prize. I'm pressing towards the goal. Again, family, where are we at with the Lord? What level do we want to attain with God? What level do we want to get to? What level do we want to get to in our marriage, right? Some of us, were prone to different things. When it comes to our job, some of us, we just want to get whatever is the most we could get paid with working the least amount, if we're honest, right? That's how many of us live. We shouldn't live like that as believers, but that's the way we live. So we go to work, we just want to clock in, clock out, and not get fired. Some of us, we want it all. Right? I want, to take, I want to take the next step. I want to take the next step. One day I want to be the VP. One day I want to start my own company. And you just have a hunger and desire for it. 
Where are we at with our walk with the Lord? Some of us are, all right, God, how do I stay saved but have as much fun as I can on earth as possible, right? Lord, how do I stay saved and go to heaven while still messing around with sin as much as possible? God, how do I stay saved and still am as liked as possible by mankind? Lord, can I do both? Can I have the fear of men and the fear of God? Lord, can I be popular with you and be popular with mankind? And the answer is no. You got to decide, Lord, where do I want to be with you? Do I want the gold? Do I want the silver? Do I want the bronze? Lord, do I just want the participation trophy, right? You did okay. Here's your badge, right? You get a star, Zach. All right, what, what do we want? We turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in verse 24 through 27, again, this is Paul. He gives us another sports analogy here. And in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Again, family, how are we running our race? Are we running in such a way that we would win? It's not enough for me to just be saved. I want to be the best Christian that I can possibly be. It's not enough for me just to get to heaven. I want to be up there with Paul, with John. Lord, I want to be up there. Lord, I want to lay it all on the line for you. Lord, I want to be the one who you gave little, Lord, and then you gave a little bit more and more. And God, I was faithful with everything you gave me. Right? Have you ever been in places like that where they say, hey, we have uh, limited quantities, but it's the first thousand people get a prize, right? And like, ah, I'll get there later on. I'll get, it opens up at nine, ah, a thousand people. Okay, I'll get there at 11 o'clock and I'll get my prize and walk away. But then there's certain things like Black Fridays of long ago, right? Or you think of uh, the Tickle Me Elmos. You think of shoes, right? And what do people do? Limited quantities. I'm going to camp out. I'm going to bring a tent and a chair because I need this Tickle Me Elmo that badly, right? That's how badly I need these things. And it's in limited quantities, so I'm going to camp out. I'm going to discipline myself to not shower for two days. I'm going to discipline myself to be, we do it in Miami, it's one thing. People do it in like upstate New York, right? I'm going to camp out for three days to get the new iPhone. I'm going to discipline myself to be in the cold, to not be able to use the bathroom, to not be able to eat, because I want to be one of the few people who get this new toy or gadget. How much more should we discipline ourselves for the things of God, family? How much more should we be saying, Lord, what do I have to cut off? Lord, what are the dumb things in life that in six months they're not going to matter? But if I hold on to this, it's going to slow down my relationship with you. And then he says there in verse 26 and 27, right? I don't run without aim. I don't fight beating the shadows or the air. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, right? I don't know if you've ever been there. You really don't go to the gym that often. But you go to a hotel and you say, hey, let's use the gym, right? That way I can eat double the amount at the buffet, right? 
And what do you do? You just walk in and I'll go on the treadmill for two minutes. Okay, I'm going to try this machine for five minutes. Okay, I'm going to try this machine. And you're just walking aimlessly in the gym. But then you're like, hey, I could eat twice as much at the buffet, right? And then you have the athlete. And what does the athlete trainer have? Everything down to a science. You're going to eat 10 grams of this. You're going to eat 100 grams of this. I'm going to have you run this day five miles. You're going to lift this much. And then in two days, we're going to lift that much. They have everything broken down to a science. Why? Because he wants to win. He wants to be the absolute best of the best. So again, family, where are we? There's a race set before us. Are we running with endurance? Are we pressing hard, not for the participation trophy, but are we pressing hard for the prize of the upward call? Again, there are some Christians, as Tozer puts it, that are settled with the first grade. They get to first grade in Christianity and they say, you know what, I'm good. This is comfortable. I know John 3.16. I know cussing is bad. I know saying amen and hallelujah and praise you Jesus is good. I know going to church is good, so that's it. I'm comfortable. I'm fine. And then you have people that are just, I need to do more. I got to love him more. I owe him more. Family, where are we? Are we running with endurance, right? That's the whole context of this thing that many people we get saved with. Many people we've been at camps or retreats, and they're a huge ball of fire. But as quickly as they burnt up, they burnt out, right? We need endurance. How often do we hear these sad things on the news? Man, this worship leader, they've denounced their faith. This pastor, man, they've given up. This youth leader, man, they've fallen. We need endurance to get to the end, right? The Billy Graham, the Rabbi Zacharias, the Chuck Smith. That's what I believe we desire. But that takes time. That takes effort. That takes endurance. We go back to... Hebrews chapter 12, in case you're worried, don't worry, we're not getting past two verses tonight, right? We need to lay aside every weight, both inside and outside, and we need to lay aside the sins which so easily ensnare us, and then we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And again, family, we don't need to only be hearers of the word, we need to be doers of the word. Are we actually setting aside the sins which easily ensnare us? And the Bible gives us a prescription to do that. We need to ask forgiveness of God. We need to seek forgiveness of God. We need to seek restoration with God. He tells us to confess our sins one to another. So the prescription is given to us how to do it, but will we do it, right? That's the question for us. It's not enough to just hear this and feel good about it. We actually need to do it. And there's some people that they believe all their holiness, all their walk with God, it's on God, right? God, you will do it in your time. God, I need you to help me stop sinning. God, I need you to do X, Y, or Z. But he says, hey, let us, we need to do this, family. There needs to be a decision in our hearts saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Lord, I can't do it in only my flesh. But Lord, it's both of us. God, it's you and your power with the Holy Spirit. But you give me the decision making to choose if I want to do this or not. But we need to run our race, right? The race that's set before us with endurance. The race set before us, the word in the Greek here for race, it's not just a jog. It's not just a nice jog on Miami Beach, right? It's not a nice jog indoors that has lemonade and ice cream or on a cruise or something like that. 
The word in the Greek here is the same word for conflict or for struggle. It's not just a linear race where there's no problems. It's a race where there's conflict and struggle, right? There's some people that like those Spartan races and different courses, right? And it's not enough to just run for five miles. Let's run five miles through mud, through snow, through sleet, through electricity, right? Let's run five miles with people throwing stuff at us. Let's run five miles and we had to climb up a rope and do a thousand pull-ups. That sounds like fun. Some people, that's fun to them, right? That's the race that is set before us, right? Don't lose heart. Don't give up. But that is the race that's set before us. We'll go through a bunch of scriptures now. Philippians chapter 1, verse 30. Paul uses this same verse, family, this, this same word for us for this race as conflict. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and then after this, I'll go through them quickly. You can write them down. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 through 30. Paul says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, right? Talk about good news. Not only to believe in him, but it's been granted to you to also suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Colossians chapter 2, a couple of pages to the right. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, for I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. You can write down 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He tells us, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God and much conflict. Finally, we turn to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. These are really the most important verses here, right? This is the race that we have. This is the conflict that we have. This is the battle that we have. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 12. He says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, right? And hopefully each of us at the end of our walk with the Lord will be able to say this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith. And up until now, right, wow, this is just verse 1, and I'm exhausted, right? Lord, how are we going to do this? God, this seems impossible. And we need to be reminded it was impossible for all these men and women in chapter 11. But now we look at verse 2, and this is the only way that it's possible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, right, that we run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Family, what have you been looking at? What have you been looking into? In this season of so much turmoil, in this season of so much exhaustion, in this season of so much frustration, what is your focus on? What are you looking at, right? It's hard to run in a straight line when you're looking that way, right? 
If you try to impress your girlfriend or impress your wife and you drive just staring at her the whole time, right? After a certain while, fear kicks in and you got to look back, right, where you're going. Don't get any ideas on your way home. But it's hard, right? It's hard to run in a straight line with your eyes closed or run in a straight line when you're looking this way. We need to look at Jesus. So again, in this season that reading verse 1, you say, woof, I'm tired. I need a nap already, right? And as we look at this world around us, we watch the news for an hour. And maybe not you, but I get angry. I get frustrated. I get mad. I get sad. I get empathetic. I get all sorts of things, right? I get apathetic, right? Everything's happening through me. But am I looking to Jesus in this season? I'm like, Lord, none of this makes sense. Am I looking to Jesus who is what? He is the author and finisher of our faith. And when you think about running a race, right? Looking at an author is going to help me run a race, right? Not to sound mean or anything like that. But when I think of an author, I think of like a a nerd at the library writing, right? How is this going to help me fight a battle or run a race? God, what in the world are you talking about? But the author and finisher of our faith, it is the prince leader. He is the captain of our salvation. So the one that we're looking at, it's not a bookworm in the library. The one that we're looking at is the champion of our souls. He's the one that we're focused on. We have the great cloud of witnesses around us. We have all these men and women of faith who were broken, messed up, sinful, but yet they had faith and trust and God used them. They're around us. They're encouraging us. Hey, you can do it. We did it. But our focus is not on these people. If our focus is on these people, you're going to fall. If your focus is on the men and women around you, you're going to fall. If your focus is on the news or social media or on the stock market or on the race for president, whatever you want to call it, right, you're going to fall. But if your focus is on Jesus, you're going to be able to get through the race because he is the champion of our souls. He is not only the prince and the king, but he is the leader of our relationship with God. It all goes in him and through him. Not only is he the originator of our faith, but he's the finisher of our faith. In in Revelation, when it says that he comes back with a crown, it's not the crown that a king gives to his son that's a prince. It's not the crown that's just given because of family and heritage. It's a crown that is taken by winning a battle. It's the crown of victory. And our king, the author and finisher of our faith, he has run the race before us. He has fought the battles before us, and yet he came out perfect. And that's why we look at him when we get tired and exhausted and say, God, everything's not fair. Look to Jesus and tell him about things not being fair. When you get tired and weary in your walk with God and you say, Jesus, the kids I'm discipling, they don't get it. Look to Jesus, the perfect one, who his 12 disciples were a bunch of knuckleheads, right? When you're tired and exhausted, Lord, our government's so messed up, look to Jesus. And the government he was dealing with when he was here on earth. Family, we're quick to moan and groan and complain. And we've been given nothing but a gift in our lives. Not many other nations have a protection over Christianity or a protection over churches. Name other countries that have the same protection. We've been living in an anomaly. Not in this season in life, but in all of history. But has that made us stronger as believers? Or has that made us a bunch of wimps, a bunch of pansies? Man, the AC's broken at church. I don't, know if, I don't know if I can make it, Lord. I don't know if I can do it, right? 
Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He gives us the matchless example that we are to follow always. We're always to follow his example. Not the men and women around us, not the biblical people, right? Because then you can come up with all sorts of madness. We follow Jesus. That's why we're called Christians. We're after Jesus. That's who we're looking to. Not to, hey, did you see what this pastor said? Did you see what this commentator said? Did you see this social media post? No. Look unto Jesus. Stay focused on him. And again, the word there in the Greek, to be focused on Jesus, means that your focus is on nothing else. You're looking on nothing else but Jesus. Right? If you've ever shot a bow and arrow, if you've ever shot a gun, your focus can't be on everything else. And the farther distance it is, the more focused you have to be on the target on your breathing, on your movement, on every single tiny detail. Everything else has to be faded out and your focus is only on Christ. Family, how are we doing with that in this season? Everything is calling out for our attention. We talk about attention deficit disorder, right? I don't know what to call our cell phones, right? They're always crying out for our attention. Every single time we feel a buzz, sometimes we feel phantom buzzes, right? And like, oh wow, nothing happened, right? Put it back in our pockets. It's crying out for our attention. The news, the media, the TV shows, the streaming services, the money, the bank accounts, the health, everything is screaming for our attention. But if we focus on any of those things, we're not going to make it. We are not going to make our race. We're not going to make the higher calling within our race. Why? We keep looking at verse 2, right? The author and finisher of our faith. And now as he's running his race... For who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Family, what are you having to endure right now in this season? Are you so focused on this season that you've forgotten about the joy that is one day coming? Are you so focused on having that joy and privilege and friendship with people here on this earth that you've forgotten the joy that is one day coming? That we're so focused on fixing things here that we have forgotten about the joy that is one day coming. Because that's the way Christ got through it. He looked at the cross. He had to endure cross. He had to endure the pain. But he was looking for the afterwards. He was looking at us. He was looking at heaven. He was looking at Satan defeated. He was looking at glorifying his father. He was looking at encouraging us and bringing us up in the faith. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get through this thing. This thing's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but we're going to grow from it. This thing's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but more glory is going to go to the Lord. This thing's going to be hard, this thing's going to be difficult, but hey, things were hard and difficult for Jesus. Things were hard and difficult for Christians in almost every other century. I need to endure. I need to batten down the hatches and I need to endure. My kids are mad at me because I took something away from them. I need to endure, right? I can make it through. I can look at the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. For many people, shame, it's a great stumbling block. And they stop right there. If it's follow Jesus but now be shamed by the world, they back out. They say, hey, I don't want anyone to shame me. I don't want anyone to be ashamed of me. I don't want anyone to look down on me. I don't want anyone to think that I'm not empathetic. I don't want anyone to think of me as I'm a big meanie or I'm a Bible thumper. And we look at shame and right away we give up. But Christ, he went through the shame, right? He went through being hung naked on a cross as a criminal. And he was fine with it. 
He went through it looking later on. And as he went through that, what did he get? He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, family, this isn't the final chapter. This season in life, as crazy as it looks, as bad as it is, this isn't the final chapter. In fact, God only tells us it's only going to get worse, right? Birth pangs is only going to get worse. They're only going to come closer and closer together. It's only going to be more and more painful, more and more crazy. But at the end of all of it, we'll be in heaven for all of eternity. And the pain, the sorrow, the madness of today, we're going to forget about it. We're not going to even be reminded of it, right? Some moms, they're each different, right? For some moms, they go through the pregnancy, and it's terrible, it's horrible, but they have the baby, and they say, let's have another baby, right? They have forgotten the pain, right? But then other moms, not the case. But we just think of the first moms, right? And that's what's going to be like in heaven. Man, we endured, we went through all this, but we're in perfection. We're in the throne room of God. I finally see him face to face, the one that loved me when I was unlovable. I finally see him face to face, the one that died for me, taking my place. And now it's all worth it. Now I'm ready for anything and everything. We close, we go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, again, the context here. We love this verse, we think it's cool. But Paul is about to go on a journey where the Holy Spirit himself has told them, hey, you need to go there so you can get beaten up, bruised, and hurt, maybe even killed. And as he's faced with this, his friends and family, they're trying to protect him. They're trying to tell him, hey, don't go down that road. Don't go there. Don't do this. The church of Ephesus, men and women that he loved, they're saying, don't go there. They're going to arrest you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to harm you. And then in verse 22, he says, and see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except, right, talk about good news, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Again, family, none of these things move me. Shame, sin, mankind not liking me. Hey, those things don't move me. My life is, is not my own. I don't count it as something dear to myself. I'm willing to give up my life if it's for the sake of Christ. Why? So that I may finish my race with joy. Finish my race with joy. Family, who are the people that actually finish the race with joy? It's the people who win. It's the people who cross the finish line, right? You, you make it to the Super Bowl. You make it to the pinnacle of sports, and you get second place. Is there a ton of joy there? No. You have grown men crying and weeping. They came so close, but they missed it. They, say, they came so close, but they didn't get the trophy. You want to finish your race with joy? got to finish it strong. you got to be strong in your race today, right now, if you want to finish with joy, Living in a question mark, you're not going to finish your race with joy. You're not going to have joy and gladness and happiness saying, man, wasn't that awesome? I don't know if I'm saved or not. Right? No, that's not. There's no joy there. There's agony and pain and wondering. But when you have given your all to the Lord, when you know that you've loved him with all that you have, when you know that you can pray and say, Lord, that I do right by you today. And he encourages you. He says, eh, here's a couple of things you could work on. But hey, you did good, Zach. You did good. That's how we have joy. 
That's how we have this gladness. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So again, family, may this be us in our race. May we not be okay with just the first grade of Christianity. May we not be okay with just kindergarten and Christianity in our lives and in the lives of the people we love. For our spouses, for our kids, may we not just say, oh, they're saved, that's okay, that's fine. Oh, they live in a question mark, that's okay, that's fine. No, may we want more. May we desire more. May we say, Lord, how can I discipline myself to get a little bit more out of this? Lord, how can I discipline myself to bring you a little bit more joy? Lord, how can I discipline myself a little bit more that I can give back to you after you've given me so much? And again, family, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. At the end of 2 Timothy, right, Paul, he's lived his life. We mentioned this in Young Adults on Monday. Paul, he's lived his life. He's been shipwrecked, beaten up, bruised, whipped, thrown in prison. He's gone through all these terrible things, and yet there's no remorse. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, this was all a lie. Hey, Timothy, this was all a waste of time. He goes, no, man, I'm about to go on my cruise, right? Cruise in the old days, right? In the good days, right? I'm about to go on my cruise. This is going to be great. I'm about to depart into heaven. Everything I did in this life, it was well worth it. And Paul was faithful. His race, it was 30 years of ministry. And he ran his race, and at the end of it, he says, hey, if I could go back, I would only give more back to the Lord. So again, family, where are we at? Are we chasing that upward calling? Are we going for the prize? Are we disciplining ourselves? Are we saying, eh, I'm okay with first grade. I'm okay with kindergarten. I'm okay with living in a question mark. Don't live there. Look at Hebrews 11. Don't be a Samson. That is at the last moment that you get saved and you're right with God. Live that life out to the fullest. Again, think of Enoch. Think of Samuel. Think of David and his ups and downs. We can be there. We're supposed to be a part of that cloud of witnesses that if God tarries a year from now, 10 years from now, 20, 30, 40 years from now, the youth, the kids in kiddos ministry will be like, man, you remember Zach? You remember the way Zach loved Jesus, right? Put your name in there. What will the kids in kids ministry be saying about your walk and relationship with God? What will people 100 years from now be saying about your walk and relationship with God? Will you even be a blip on the radar? Do you want to be a blip on the radar? Are you saying, eh, I'm okay just wasting my life away? I know God gave his son, his only son on the cross to die for me, but I'm okay just wasting it away. Right? How do you want to be remembered? We all want to be remembered as these great men and women, but we got to live it. We got to be willing to put it all out on the line like these men and women in Hebrews did, even though they were broken, they were sinners, they were messed up people, but they were obedient to God. They were willing to say, God, whatever you want for me and my family, Lord, I'm in it. 